Welcome back to our pastor's Bible study as we are continue, continuing on in the book of Acts. Thank you for joining us. Um, oh, we did have a question. Yeah, that's right. Before we jump in yep. to chapter 20. And that was a question from our buddy Ron. Yeah, about speaking in tongues. Yes, that is something, uh, a topic here in the book of Acts. It comes up a few times uh, with the Holy Spirit. And so really the question is just, what do we think about that? It's kind of our thoughts on it. And I think Ron asked specifically, too. He thought it was interesting that we hear about maybe speaking in tongues, maybe in a demonic way, but also speaking in tongues in a holy way. And he even mentioned that there was, a, I think, a friend of his that at their church, you had to be able to speak in tongues to be able to be basically considered a member of the church. And I had some friends actually they were a part of a church that they had left before they came and joined us uh, same thing they said the same thing that uh, at their church you had to be able to do certain things like that so that was that's interesting you will see that in different churches but uh maybe we could just share a little bit of our take on on that yeah no so there is there are denominations that would say you're not even saved if you don't speak in tongues maybe some of the real strong pentecostal sides they would in call particular. it being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's like two baptisms for them. You're baptized in water, which is symbolic to them, and then you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, which I guess is... Physically being able to speak in tongues. Right. And when they say tongues, they mean the usually un, uninterpretable, unrecognized... Many times... I'll try not to use. Sometimes they'll say different language, but oftentimes it'll be something no, yeah, yeah. a language you do in the does not exist almost. Yeah, no, in the Pentecostal, it's a it's it's an unrecognized. I'm trying not to use degrading terms like gobbledygook or yeah, well you just did yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just but the a, word tongue. It's something. Well, let's get to the point of it. It's something that cannot be translated, mm -hmm. uh, at least probably appropriately, right? Because often in a forum like that. You'll have somebody that does the speaking in tongues, and then often somebody who will then translate what they what they said, which is weird because nobody else understands these words, or sometimes it won't even be translated. People won't know what they're saying. In my experience, and I have been to churches that practice this kind okay. of uh, Holy Spirit, I'd say nine times out of ten, nobody translates anything. It's just the blabber, blabber. Which in Scripture, that's just that point alone, before we go any farther, is uh, spoken out against very clearly, in which we are told that, you know, we, the Lord would rather us speak one word that somebody can understand than thousands that they cannot, you know. Yeah. How does that benefit the body of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. So, what do we think about it? So, let's go back to Acts chapter 2, when the disciples received the Holy Spirit and were speaking in tongues. The word literally, tongues, are, are different languages. Uh, it's just an idiom, a Hebrew idiom. Um, well, we even use it today in English, right? An idiom, uh, the different tongues of different languages. And it says that the people were so amazed, they said, aren't these all Galileans? Mm. And yet we understand what they're saying in our own language and not only in our own language, but in our own dialect. Yeah, more specific. Of our own language. Yeah. So if you and I were present in Jerusalem on Pentecost, in the year 32 AD, whatever, you would have heard the disciples say, Hey, dude, Jesus died for you, man. <laughs> totally gnarly, man. 
Wait, I want to hear what they would have said to you now. And to me, yeah. they would have said, all right, y'all, listen up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus died for all y'all. <laughs> but seriously, I mean, in, in their own dialect, not just the language, all the different languages of the world. So, <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. It's, it was a sign that uh, God had given and shown the people uh, as a testament, as, as evidence that this is God's word, this is God's miracle, this is God's truth that they're saying, listen. And often when it's something like that, uh, they would be prophesying about the truth, sharing about who the Lord is. You know, we're to a point probably in our history now, I wouldn't ever say that uh, speaking in tongues could not occur. I would never say anything and put limits upon our God. But what I would say is everything that we seem to already need to know has been spoken as and is in the word of God. And so prophesying today or speaking in tongues, if it's already in the Bible, we already have it. And if it's something contrary to the Bible, then it really is speaking out against the word of God. And so in my mind, that realm doesn't have a huge area for need of existence anymore. Right. But again, with that, I'll, I'll say at the same time, I wouldn't ever put limits on our God to say that, you know, that could not happen. Oh, of course. No, but your point is very important because we now have God's word yeah. literally in almost every tongue. Oh, yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of translations and people like Lutheran Bible translators yep. are still at work. Great organization. Getting to the far reaches of the globe, some small tribes and things that don't yet have... Most, I mean, the Word of God revealed to us is is available practically at well, every major language, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every major tongue. Okay, now we'll get into Acts chapter 20. Chapter 20 today. Paul on his third missionary journey, traveling now through Macedonia and Greece. When the uproar, uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail to, for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy also, and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Just maybe a small footnote, not a super theological point here, but uh, when you read the book of Acts, it kind of reads... Like history. Yeah. I mean, it kind of reads like a, a journal. Like, this yeah. is what we did. This is where we went. This is how long we stayed. This is what we said. This is what I heard Paul say. This is, I mean, it is a recorded history of the life and times of the I early think that church. when I see it, it's almost like this captain's log, right? Of like writing something down that happened every day. Whether you would compare that to uh, 
somebody on the, on a ship in the 1500s or right. Star Trek, you know, right. like something that's every day, this captain's log, you know, here's what kind of happened during this time. And I'm writing this down for a purpose for somebody right. else to be able to see later on, no matter what happens right. to us. And I just hold that up against, I think, for many people in the world, like they just kind of have this conceptual idea that the Bible is this holy book and maybe it's got theological thoughts in it and some ideas on how to live mm. life or philosophy. Like it's a it's historical. This is this is what actually happened. I like in uh, verse two yeah. in your reading there, it talks about the encouraging words that Paul's speaking. We see that so many times over and over again. And even just for a modern day application of where we're at today in our history it would be so easy in the world to look around and just constantly be upset about things. And Paul had more of a right to do that than any Christian ever. He's constantly, we'll even see it in this chapter. We saw yeah. in the last, there's people constantly trying to berate him, to be able to imprison him, to be able to kill him, mm-hmm. all for just speaking good words. He's not doing, he's not doing bad things, all for just speaking good words. But he still, everywhere he goes, is speaking these words of encouragement. He's not walking around with his head down. He's not walking around all the time try, trying to just speak badly about mm-hmm. people around him. He calls them out as need be. But he does such a good job of just constantly being encouraging. And from there, I think we see a lot of fruits from that that labor and the Christians that are around him. How contagious that is. So maybe an mm-hmm. application for us today, too, uh, no matter where we're at, just to really be encouraging to the people. Not not this false sense mm-hmm. of hope, uh, and not that you always have to be happy, but truly being encouraging to people around us. Yes, that's an excellent, excellent point. Interesting, all these delegates. I'm sorry you had to read those names, by the way. You did better than I would have done. Interesting, all these individuals that are named here uh, that are basically these other leaders that are being raised up in different ways. They're kind of just listed here, like you said, almost in this historical way. It doesn't really say a lot about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you can see is that they're, this accompaniment and also this other kind of level of leadership that Paul is raising up, that he's not just doing this task on his own. And again, a good call for us within the church to be able to make sure we're constantly raising up leaders or doing our own part to make sure we're a part of the great commission and ministry within our congregation to be able to be active. You know, you can't just leave it up to one person. You can't say, well, this is Pastor Mark's job. He's the one that's going to do this. He's the pastor. That's why we have him here. Let's let him do that. But it really is this sharing of responsibility and privilege. Mm -hmm. Good. All right. Paul's traveling on. Had to go kind of back up north to come back down. He's avoiding the uh, traps that they were laying for him. You mean to read here or you want to go for it? Uh, I can go with chapter, uh, verse 7. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is a big one here. So on the first day of the week, Sunday, uh, we came together to break bread. There they are, worshiping on a Sunday. <laughs> uh, Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Right? He was going to get get it all out. Yeah. He had to say everything he had to say. And, you know, there weren't any... HBO movies to go back home and watch. So you come, you, you got a visitor in town, a good speaker, and yeah, come listen to him. All right. Uh, so <laughs> he spoke until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs rooms uh, when they were, yeah, where they were meeting. 
Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on and on and on. <laughs> Added the second on. Uh, when, he stood, when, he, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. <laughs> After talking until daylight, think about that, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Now I know why we don't have a balcony here at Desert Foothills uh, when you're preaching. Yeah. I think you're going to work something <laughs> in there. <laughs> it's an interesting story, right? I mean, I, I, love the, I love both the speaker and the hearer that they're putting in so much time that they know Paul needs to leave. Paul doesn't say, well, I better go back and get a long night's sleep, guy. I got a big journey tomorrow. You know, he's not, somebody isn't driving him. He's, yeah. he's going on his own. He does need his energy. But what is most important to him is sharing the word of God. And then all these other people there, too. I like that concept that the, there's these mini lamps. There's not just one person that is using, by the way, something that would have cost them money and something that would have been a resource, their oil and their lamp. Yeah to be able to have a, a worthless excuse. But there's many lamps that are gathered there. They want to be able to see each other. They want to be able to be with each other. And most importantly, they want to hear the word of God. And so they're dedicating this time. But then you have this interesting story of this young man who's he's fallen asleep during, during the message, if you will, slips out of the window. And from there, you know, Paul raises him from, from the dead. Kind of a... a an interesting story, I'm sure, that he had to tell from years to come, you know? Yes. It made it into uh, Luke Luke's account. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a highlight. I'm sure that was a memorable night. <laughs> but yeah, there's a little humor in there too, right? With the preaching all day long and all night until the next morning. Yeah. Yeah, I've put a few people to sleep before. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they're just deep in prayer, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. what they always tell me. Yeah. Praying. Well, I got a question for you. Yeah. Before we leave this section here. Yeah. So Paul heard about. So Paul's plan uh, was to take this offering uh, back to Jerusalem. They had to go south. I think they were going to sail to Syria and then just kind of walk, you know, travel down to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. But he found out about the plot against them and he decided to go north up to Philippi and come back all the way around, you know, over land. How would you evaluate if somebody said, well, why didn't Paul trust God to keep him safe? Yeah. I mean, you have all these other incidences where he's been, well, even jailed, but, I mean, threatened and, and stuff. And he kind of faced it head on, it seems. And yeah. And this time he... At the same time, I think he uses, we do see an intelligent individual that's using the common sense that the Lord has provided him, right? That he seems to know uh, from one phase to another that he's not purposefully putting him in those positions, right? A lot of times when he, I think, is advancing into a certain area, he's doing so uh, always with the confidence that the Lord will protect him, but he's not doing it in a haphazard manner either. And the scripture doesn't really give us complete detail as to what uh, is happening. How bad was this scenario compared to uh, another? Did he know that this was going to be his final moment? Did he feel a calling to be able to go mm -hmm. this other way? And so I don't think that the trust in the Lord doesn't exist there, but I think at the same time he's being just intellectually 
uh, just uh, applying his smarts, if you will, to an everyday mm-hmm. situation. Just like I think that that we are called to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, the Lord calls us in Scripture to be able to give all that we can for him, even our own life. But at the same time, he doesn't call us to be able to do that in a manner that is... Reckless. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no reason... I, I mean, because right. then you could start using that, applying that to everything, right? Well, you know, I'm going to walk across... God's going to protect yeah, me. Yeah, walk across Scottsdale Road today. God's God's got, got me. me. Yeah, it might be something over there I need to do. Well, it might be better to look both ways first. You know, God God gave us those, those eyes, or again, yeah, that intelligence, you know, to be able to go along with that. So in yeah. my mind, I, th- I always think that's, you know, where he's kind of uh, looking to. And again, who knows how bad the situation was to him. Yeah, I agree. I think you're, I think you're right on there. That's the way I think about it. And then he's also got those uh, guests or, you know, whatever, other companions that are traveling with him from the other churches. They're yep. in danger. Apparently has some kind of offering uh, yeah. of value. I mean, some, some amount of money. Uh, we don't know the exact number. But, you know, you want to get that safe to Jerusalem, to the needy in Jerusalem. All right. Well, good. All right. Well, we're in verse 13 now in chapter 20. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, there, uh, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made his arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, he, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Well, Ephesus was a big, we talked about kind of this uh, it was a colony of the Roman. It was a big, kind of the capital of that state, that province, and I'm sure it was tempting to stop and and, mm-hmm. and encourage the Christians that yeah. were in Ephesus that he loved to do. Uh, but he had another mission uh, priority, so he sailed past. All right, so uh, verse 17 from Miletus, Paul set sail, uh, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, "You know how I lived the whole time I was with you." From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, Compelled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. He goes on, but... Again, I think in verse uh, 17 there, it's interesting that he's talking about these these elders or other leaders mm-hmm. that are there, right? From Ephesus. Yeah. And so he's, again, you know, being able to lift up others in the church and not having it this one-person role. And I think that it's just so uh, repetitive throughout the book of Acts of the importance for us as a church, as the church, to be able to 
just recruit others and to be able to share this message with them so they can do the same. Uh, you know, that phrase of, you know, more hands makes less work is so true, uh, especially within Christendom. And I'm just going to point out Paul's, again, laser-focused message. Hmm. I mean, his mission is singular. Uh, he, he talks about, while you saw what it was like when I lived there in Ephesus with you for that, those years, I said, he said, uh, you know, I served humility. I served with my tears. I, I worked, you know, basically, my, he's saying, I, I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this one thing. I preached in public. I preached in your houses. I talked to Jews. I talked to Greeks. And the one thing I said over and over, you must repent and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I mean, yeah, like that's you said, it. Here it is. I'm just going to keep hitting it over and over and over again. Well, again, another good example for us, right? To, mm-hmm. You know, when we think, oh, I don't know what I'd know what to, what say, to say or what to give people. And really, I think that when it comes down to it, the simplicity of sharing whatever your story is with that concept of what Christ's story is, it just goes hand in hand. You know, it's you don't need to know every single question. Mm-hmm. Uh or have every piece of scripture memorized. A lot of it's just sharing, you know, what the Lord has done for us. Exactly. I like that concept of the tears, too, that he mentions. I think it comes up again here in a minute that, uh, you know, you really see that uh, just emotional investment being made on the behalf of Paul. Uh, And really, I think there's not, not even just a, when he says that word tears, I don't know if he's talking about all the time being in sadness by any means. I think sometimes he's just so emotionally probably overtaken by what God has done for him. I mean, remember who this guy is. Uh, he probably is brought to tears when he speaks to people because it's something so personal and so meaningful for him of what Jesus really did, you know, for you. And I think mm-hmm. he probably just, Paul had that inspiration of living his life every single minute knowing that that great gift that God had provided. And so maybe, again, something for us to be able to have today, too, uh, of the emotional investment that our Lord has made in us and vice versa that we can make in his ministry. Oh, yeah. Verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Yeah, yeah. I just wrote down, dedicated to Jesus. Only I finish the race, (laughs) complete the task the Lord has given me. And, And that's what we could all save, right? Our life is nothing. I just want to do what God's given me to do. And for Paul, he says the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Man, that's what he was did on fire. Uh, verse 25, Paul continues speaking to the elders of, from Ephesus. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today what I am innocent that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. There's where Jesus talked about if you, uh, oh man, what's the quote? It's uh, if you don't share the gospel, if you don't confront an unrepentant sinner, Mm -hmm. their blood is on your hands. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Right, but if you tell them about Jesus, they tell them they need to repent, turn to God, turn to Jesus, and they don't. They don't. Well, that's on them. Yeah, the blood's not on. This is what Paul's saying. There is no blood on my hands. Right, I've told. Everybody I see. see. Yeah, I guess at the same point, Jesus even gives his disciples those words, right? And he tells them to be able to shake the dust off their sandals if they've gone into a village and they're not listening, you know, and go on to the next place. Yeah. 
Also, there's no blood on my hands, man. I've told, <laughs> I've told everybody. everybody. I've told them ten times. The the, the jailer that that's guarding my cell to yeah, yeah to everybody. Uh, verse twenty eight, right? Keep watch yep. over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. There it is again. Yeah. Tears that are passionate. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. He was a tent maker. Uh, that's how he would make, a, make money, not in his ministry. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, even just to back up there before we get down the words of Christ, at verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among and uh, not spare the flock. This warning that's there, right? As soon as the word of God is removed, somebody's going to take this opportunity to sneak in here and they're going to try to tell you that the things I've said are wrong. They're going to try to tell you different things. Maybe worse yet, as he continues, even so, from your own number, uh, men will arise to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples. And uh, you were so good with us and the staff this week of having us take part in that conference on Saturday of kind of watching, you know, just being aware of different things. And part of the, the section, it talked about, you know, sabotage that mm-hmm. happens sometimes within the church and sometimes on purpose and sometimes not on on purpose. Uh, but for us to always be aware of that, right? When it gets down to it, the only thing that really dictates how we live and what path to take really is the words of our Lord. You know, people in the world will tell you so many things, even maybe people of all different uh, likenesses within the realm of Christianity might say certain things. But when it gets down to it, when we try to figure that out, we really need to just continue to go back to, to Scripture. It's such... A defining book and I don't think people really recognize how you know we talked about this journal aspect of it but how historical and how proven the Bible is even if somebody's not a Christian you know look look into that check it out uh, my daughter along with your son were uh, studying the uh, the case for Christ and the case for a creator looking at the story of Lee Strobel an individual who was completely uh, anti-God, not even just like I, there might be a God, like anti-God, this can't cannot exist, a super intelligent man, and he was just challenged, you know, well, look into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what, if that's what you feel, you should check it out. And he just just poured himself in just to digging, to prove it wrong, yeah. to make sure, you, I'm going to show you, yeah. and after all his research just says, God has to be real. Jesus has to be true. The scripture is, is true. It is a true historical document for us. And so if you can just get to that point of knowing we have a creator, of knowing we have a savior, then we need to get over the hurdle of ourselves of constantly coming up against 
the attempts that we have, the savage attempts within the world to be able to tell us that things about the Lord are not true or to get us to bend our morals. You talked about that uh, in one of your messages recently about the concept of, you know, sometimes the, the world just says, well, because this is not against a law, it must be okay. okay. Yeah, and you could say that about a lot of things, right? About a, abortion, about pornography, and the list goes on and on. But that doesn't make something okay because men say it's okay. And that's what Paul's really getting at, I think, here too. You know, be on your guard. You know, yep. watch watch out for things that are contrary to Scripture because it's so easy for those things to slide in and for us, even as Christians, to start saying, maybe that is okay. You know, maybe this Bible was written a long time ago. If Jesus was alive today, maybe he would do things differently. But remember, that's all men uh, and women thinking those things. Yeah, and doing so, I think, in a, why are we wanting to make those changes? Well, it's easier for me. It's Mm -hmm. better for me. But we got to get away from that. Even in Christ's closing words here, right? He tries to get us out of that, out of that attitude. And if you jump forward, then in verse thirty-five, those are such great words. Uh, again, mine's in red letters, so it mm-hmm. has it here in Jesus' own words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh man, that isn't that something so important for us to remember as our holidays come up, right? Of Thanksgiving, of Christmas, and not just during those times, but to take it into next year too. What are the ways that we can be able to give to people around us? And one of the biggest elements that we talk about here within Paul's words isn't just in a monetary gift or in uh, being able to serve somebody, but a lot of it's being able to share the gospel with somebody. You know, it's better to for us to be able to give this, you know. Right. We have received this wonderful gift. Somebody gave it to us, the, partially the, our parents, the Holy Spirit, but can we give that now? Yeah, the priceless treasure. I mean, that's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Actual sharing the gospel. So Paul's his farewell to his uh, beloved friends, mm-hmm. these pastors, really, leaders of the church in Ephesus, pleading, pleading, pleading for them to be on guard, be on guard. Um, and then, like a good, faithful Christian, it concludes, you know, verse 38, now I commit you to God, right? I, I've done everything I can. I've pleaded. Yeah. I've cried. <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears into this. And, uh, you know, God's calling me over here. This is your mission now in Ephesus, yep. and I commit you to God. So, uh, verse what 36, so yeah. uh, when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So it is uh, hard to say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is actually the verse I, this section here I use uh, my sermon on, my last sermon in Chattanooga. Hmm. was that kind of concept. I commit you, in, I certainly don't hold myself up as a Paul by any means. I didn't mean it that way, but just the point that we've done a lot here. We've worked, we've labored for the Lord yeah, in, yeah. in the fields. I'm moving to another field, but this is still your field. And, yeah. you know, commit you to God, you know, keep it up. All right, well, that's kind of the conclusion there. Ron, thanks for your question uh, this week, and thanks for everybody for uh, jumping online with us and kind of walking along this journey. Still have a a decent amount of more chapters to uh, wrap up, but it's neat to uh, be able to continue moving through here and checking out literally every single word within this book with each of you. 
Uh, so why don't we take some time to close in prayers. We see our friends here and we will depart online together today. Mm-hmm. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, Heavenly Father, uh, we praise you again for the great gifts that you have given to us uh, through your Son. Uh, Lord, thank you for emotionally connecting us to you and to your word. And thank you for physically connecting your Son unto us through the gifts of baptism, through the gifts of uh, communion, and through the gift of your word. Uh, inspire us, Lord, to be uh, that mimicker of Paul and his work uh, that you have provided through your Spirit. Uh, bless that again unto us, that we may be alive, that we may be able to uh, stay awake, that we may be able to constantly listen and be connected with you so that we can share with others. Uh, do that through our church, that we will remember the words of your Son that is truly uh, more blessed uh, to be able to give than it is to receive. And so, Lord, as we have received the great gift of your Son, uh, let us now in turn bless that unto others. In Jesus' holy and precious name we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll see you next week.